All right, we got everybody up here? Cool. All right, Roy, all yours. All right. Christmas Day in the morning. He woke suddenly and completely. It was four o'clock, the hour which his father had always called him to get up and help with the milking. Strange how the habits of his youth clung to him still. Fifty years ago, and his father had been dead for 30 years, and yet he woke at four o'clock in the morning. He had trained himself to turn over and go to sleep, but this morning, because it was Christmas, he did not try to sleep. Yet, what was the magic of Christmas now? His childhood and youth were long past, and his own children had grown up and gone. Some of, some of them only lived a few miles away, but they had their own families, and they would come in as usual towards the end of the day. They had explained with infinite gentleness that they wanted their children to build Christmas memories about their houses, not his. He was left alone with his wife. Yesterday, she had said, it isn't worthwhile, perhaps, and he had said, oh, yes, Alice, even if there are only the two of us, let's have a Christmas of our own. Then she had said, let's not trim the tree until tomorrow, Robert just so it's ready when the children come. I'm tired. He had agreed, and the tree was still out in the back entry. He lay in his big bed in his room. The door to her room was shut, because she was a light sleeper, and sometimes he had restless night. Years ago, they had decided to use separate rooms. It meant nothing, they said, except that neither of them slept as well as they once had. They had been married so long that nothing could separate them, actually. Why did he feel so awake tonight? For it was a still night, a clear, starry night, no moon, of course, but the stars were extraordinary. Now that he thought of it, the stars seemed always large and clear before the dawn of Christmas Day. There was one star now that was certainly larger and brighter than any of the others. He could even imagine it moving, as it had seemed to him to move one night long ago. He slipped back in time as he, had, as he did so easily nowadays. He was 15 years old and still on his father's farm. He loved his father. He had not known it until one time a few days before Christmas when he had overheard what his father was saying to his mother. Mary, I hate to call Rob in the mornings. He's growing so fast and he needs to sleep. If you could see how he sleeps when I go in to wake him up, I wish I could manage alone. Well, you can't, Adam, his mother's voice was brisk. Besides, he isn't a child anymore. It's time he took his turn. Yes, his father said slowly, but I sure do hate to wake him. When he heard these words, something in him woke. His father loved him. He had never thought of it before, taking for granted the tie of their blood. Neither his father nor mother talked about their children. They had no time for such things. There was always so much to do on the farm. Now we knew his father loved him. There would be no more loitering in the mornings and having to be called again. He got up after that, stumbling blind with sleep, and pulled on his clothes. His eyes touched shite, but he got up. And then, on the night before Christmas that year, while he was 15, he lay for a few minutes thinking about the next day. They were poor, and most of the excitement was in the turkey they had raised themselves and in the mince pies his mother made. His sister sewed presents, and his mother and father always bought something he needed, not only a warm jacket, maybe, but something more, such as a book. And he saved and bought them each something, too. He wished that Christmas he was 15. He had a better present for his father. As usual, he had gone to the 10-cent store and bought a tie. It seemed nice enough until he lay thinking the night before Christmas. And then he wished he had heard his father and mother talking in time for him to save something better, save for something better. He lay on his side, his head supported by his elbow, and looked out his attic window. The stars were bright, much brighter than he had ever remembered seeing them. And one star in particular was so bright that he wondered if it were really the star of Bethlehem. 
Dad, he once asked when he was a little boy, what is this stable? It's just a barn, his father replied, like ours. Then Jesus had been born in a barn, and to the barn the shepherds and the wise men had come, bringing their Christmas gifts. The thought had struck him like a silver dagger. Why should he not give up his, why should he not give his father a special gift too? Out there in the barn, he could get up early, earlier than four o'clock, and he could creep into the barn and get all the milking done. He'd do it alone, milk and clean up, and then when his father went to the start the milking, he'd see it all done, and he could know who had done it. He laughed to himself as he gazed at the stars. It was what he would do, and he mustn't sleep too sound. He must have waked 20 minutes scratching a match each time to look at his old watch. Midnight, half past one, then two o'clock. At a quarter to three, he got up and put on his clothes. He crept downstairs carefully of the creaky boards and let himself out. The big star hung lower over the barn roof, a reddish gold. The cows looked at him, sleepy and surprised. It was too early for them. So, boss, he whispered. They accepted him placidly, and he fetched some hay for each cow. And he, then he got the milking pail and the big milk cans. He had never milked all alone before, but it seemed almost easy. He kept thinking about his father's surprise. His father would come in and call him, saying that he would get things started while Rob was getting dressed. He'd go to the barn, open the door, and then he'd get to the two big empty milk cans, but they wouldn't be waiting or empty. They'd be standing in the milk house filled. What the, he could hear his father exclaiming. He smiled and milked steadily. Two strong streams rushing into the pail, frothing and fragrant. The cows were still surprised, but acquiescent. For once, they were behaving well, as though they knew it was Christmas. The task went more easily than he had ever known it to go before. Milking for once was not a chore. It was something else, a gift to his father who loved him. He finished, the two milk cans were full, and he covered them and closed the milk house door carefully, making sure of the latch. He put the stool in its place by the door and hung the clean milk pail. Then he went out of the barn and barred the door behind him. Back in his room, he had only one minute to pull off his clothes in the darkness and jump into bed, for he heard his father up. He put the covers over his head to silence his quickening, quick breathing. The door opened. Rob, his father called. We have to get up, son, even if it's Christmas. All right, I'll go out. I'll get things started. The door closed and he lay still, laughing to himself. In just a few minutes, his father would know. His dancing heart was ready to jump from his body. The minutes were endless, 10, 15. He didn't know how many before he heard his father's footsteps again. The door opened and he lay still. Rob, yes, dad, you son of a, his father was laughing, a queer sobbing sort of laugh. Thought you'd fool me, did you? His father was standing beside his bed, feeling for him, pulling away the cover. It's for Christmas, dad. He found his father and clutched him in, in a great hug. He felt his father's arms go around him. It was dark and they could not see each other's faces. Son, I thank you. Nobody ever did a nicer thing. Oh, dad, I want you to know, I do want to be good. The words were, broke from him out of their own will. He did not know what to say. His heart was bursting with love. Well, I reckon I can't go back to bed and sleep, his father said after a moment. No, hark, the little ones are, awake, are waked up. Come to think of it, son, I've never seen you children when you first saw the Christmas tree. I was always at the barn. Come on. He got up and pulled on his clothes again, and they went down to the Christmas tree. And soon the sun was creeping up to where the star had been. Oh, what a Christmas, and how his heart had nearly burst again with shyness and pride as his father told his mother and made the younger children listen about how he, Rob, had got up all by himself. The best Christmas I'd, gift I ever had, and I'll remember it, son, every year on Christmas morning so long as I live. 
They both had remembered it, and now that his father was dead, he remembered alone, that blessed Christmas dawn, when alone with the cows in the barn, he made his first gift of true love. Outside the window now, the great star slowly sank. He got up out of bed and put on his slippers and bathroom and went softly upstairs to the attic and found the box of Christmas tree decorations. He took them downstairs into the living room. Then he brought in the tree. It was a little one. They had not had a big tree since the children went away. But he set it in the holder and put it in the middle of the long table under the window. Then carefully he began to trim it. It was done very soon, the time passing as quickly as it had that morning long ago in the barn. He went to his library and fetched the little box that contained a special wife to his gift, a star of diamonds, not large but dainty in design. He had written the card for it the day before. He tied the gift on the tree and then stood back. It was pretty, very pretty, and she would be surprised. But he was not satisfied. He wanted to tell her how much he loved her. It had been a long time since he had really told her. Although he loved her in a very special way, much more than he ever had when they were young. Had he been fortunate that she loved him, he had been fortunate that she had loved him, and how fortunate that he had been able to love. Ah, that was the true joy of life, the ability to love. For he was quite sure that some people were genuinely unable to love anyone, but love was alive in him, it still was. It occurred to him suddenly that it, w that it was alive because long ago it had been born in him when he knew his father loved him. That was it, love alone could waken love and he could give the gift again and again. This morning, blessed Christmas morning, he would give it to his beloved wife. He could write it down in a letter for her to read and keep forever. He went to his desk and began his love letter to his wife, my dearest love. When it was finished, he sealed it and tied it on the tree where she could see it first thing when she came into the room. She would read it surprised and then moved and realized how very much she loved her. He put out the light and went tiptoeing up the stairs. The star in the sky was gone and the first rays of sun were gleaming the sky. Such a happy, happy Christmas. The end. Thank you, Rory. Thank you, guys. Hey, if you want to take your coloring sheets back to the to your to your seats, you can. Y'all did so good. <laughs> did you catch that last couple lines that Rory read in the story? Oh, that was the true joy of life, the ability to love. Because long ago, love had been born in us when we knew our Father loved us. That was it. Love alone could awaken love. Isn't that the story of our scriptures? An awakening of love by love's very presence. Here to tell us the story of that presence from Luke chapter 2 and to light our fourth Advent candle, the candle of love, is Cohen. That same night, the night of Jesus' birth, in the, and amongst the other stars, a bright new star appeared. God put a special star in the sky to show where his boy was. And now he's going to send him a big choir of angels to sing his happy song to the world. He's here, he's come, go and see him, my little boy. Now, there would, now where would you send your splendid choir? To a big concert hall, maybe? Or a palace, perhaps? God sent his to the little hillside outside of the little town in the middle of the night to sing for a raggedy old bunch of shepherds watching their sheep outside of Bethlehem. In those days, people thought of shepherds there were nobodies, just scruffy, smelly old riffraff. But God must have thought shepherds were very important indeed because they are the ones he chose to tell the good news to first. That night, some shepherds were out in the open fields warming themselves by a fire when suddenly standing in front of them was a huge warrior of light blazing in the darkness. Don't be afraid of me. 
the bright shining man said, I haven't come to hurt you. I've come to bring your happy news of great joy for everyone everywhere. Today in David's town, Bethlehem, God's son has been born. You can go and see him. He's sleeping in a manger. Behind the angel, they saw a strange glowing cloud. Except it wasn't a cloud. It was more angels. Troops and troops of angels, armed with light. And they were singing a beautiful song. Glory to God, to God be fame and honor in all the hurrays. Then as quickly as they appeared, the angels left. The shepherds stamped out of their, out, of the, out, out their fire, let their sheep, left their sheep, and ran down the grassy hill through the gates of Bethlehem to a simple home with dirt floors and a child. Heaven's son, the maker of the stars, sleeping swallowed in mother's arms. This baby would be like the bright star shining in the sky and that night, a light to light up the whole world, chasing away the darkness, helping people see. In the dark of the night, God, the bright of the star would shine. This is how God loved the world. He gave his, his one and only Son, that whoever believes him should not perish, but have life forever. This is Jeremiah 31, 1 through 14. At that time, declares the Lord, I will be the God of all the clans of Israel, and they shall be my people. Thus says the Lord, the people who survived the sword, sword found grace in the wilderness. When Israel sought for rest, the Lord appeared to him from far away. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. Again, I will build you and you shall be built, O virgin Israel. Again, you shall adorn yourself with tambourines and shall go forth in the dance of the merrymakers. Again, you shall plant vineyards on the mountains of Samaria. The planters shall plant and shall enjoy the fruit. For there shall be a day when watchmen will call in the hill country of Ephraim, Arise and let us go up to Zion to the Lord our God. For thus says the Lord, Sing aloud with gladness for Jacob, and raise shouts for the chief of the nations. Proclaim, give praise, and say, O Lord, save your people, the remnant of Israel. Behold, I will bring them from the north country and gather them from the farthest parts of the earth. Among them the blind and the lame, the pregnant woman, and she who is in labor, together a great company, they shall return here. With weeping they shall come, and with pleas for mercy I will lead them back. I will make them walk by brooks of water, in a straight path in which they shall not stumble. For I am a father to Israel, and Ephraim is my firstborn. Hear the word of the Lord, O nations, and declare it in the coastlands far away. Say, He who scattered Israel will gather him, and will keep him as a shepherd keeps his flock. For the Lord has ransomed Jacob, and has redeemed him from the hands too strong for him. They shall come and sing aloud in the height of Zion, and they shall be radiant over the goodness of the Lord, over the grain, the wine, and the oil, and over the young of the flock and the herd. Their life shall be like a watered garden, and they shall languish no more. Then shall the young woman rejoice in the dance, and the young men and the old shall be merry. I will turn their mourning into joy. I will comfort them and give them gladness for sorrow. I will feast the soul of the priest with abundance, and my people shall be satisfied with my goodness, declares the Lord. Welcome to Stand. We're going to continue to get... You can grab a seat. All true prophecies, apocalyptic and revelatory visions much like the one Maria read for us in Jeremiah 31, provoke us to imagine the kingdom of God, 
life with him. All of life within his purview. Nothing's left out. Everything's included. All of the Advent themes come together in this full and pure vision. But all of life also means not just everything good, but everything difficult and bad. Abundant and complex, holy and evil. Nothing is left out. These exhaustive depictions quite naturally offer a critique of this world, don't they? Whether in direct confrontations with its ills, the ills within us or the ills within the world, or in the exaltation of images and energies so grand and glorious, so beyond imagination, that we cannot help but notice the dimness of the days surrounding the unveiled light. That we don't quite live in a life that looks just like that yet. Much like the Christmas season, isn't it? Everything around us becomes, in Christmas, a visceral appeal to live differently in these days from the other days, doesn't it? To encounter a vision of good and whole life again. To go back. Think of all the Hallmark movies that are out right now, right? To end what divides and to live with joyous generosity in the days that follow. Isn't there an air of Christmas that communicates that something's different now and can be different in the future? and calling us and beckoning us into it. Even if those exhortations have been co-opted by marketers and entertainers, there is something pulsing in this season that calls our minds, our hearts, and our souls to the thing for which we long, for that for which we need, for which we are actually made. As a people of faith, more specifically Jesus people, right? Apprentices, disciples, followers, and friends. We recognize both in this season and in our face prophecies That without Jesus, the images and energies that capture our attention lead us only so far as to religious routine on average, right? If we just have a vision of life as it could be, of life as it might be, of life different and better without Jesus, maybe we get into the religious routines like most do. Or, for some, maybe we give ourselves to a devotion that crushes us. But for most, like the season of Christmas, all the images and energies that would call us into life beyond today, a life that beckons us back to what we've known, but also calls us into something different in the future, becomes just a fleeting sentiment. In a few days, the decorations will come down, won't they? In a few days, we'll put up the boxes and we'll move on. Or if you're Target, you'll turn it into to Valentine's probably here in about 24 hours, right? And so we know that the season ends. And as much as we feel the energy of the season, all the good that it calls us into, it feels like tomorrow, it just fades away. And the same thing for our prophecies and our scriptures, isn't it? We come together in places like this and we hear these words of grand grandeur, of images painted for us in which God has reconciled us, he's he's become a father to us, he's called us and planted us in a place where where our lives are water gardens, where we languish no more, where we feast, our souls feast with abundance and are satisfied with goodness. And we long for that, we want it, we come here, we feel the energy of it, and by the time we get into tomorrow's daily work, we're just back at another day. Yet, with Jesus, through Jesus, Jesus with us, Jesus died, Jesus alive again. Our life lived in Him, in His and ours, 
Life is as it will be, different today, even as it is lived differently for tomorrow. It's not just a sentiment, it's actually a power, a truth. It's a way of life, the only way to life. In fact, our entire existence as the church is predicated on this belief, isn't it? That Jesus doesn't just give us images to hold to in routine, to crush us in our attempts to try to get them ourselves, or to be just for moments and moments like this, a fleeting, joyous, spur you up, get you going, maybe to get a couple days into the week. We actually believe that life in Jesus, that Jesus himself actually makes life different. And every day that we wake, we get to wake into a life that is Jesus' life. Our life in his and his life in ours. And so we can live different. As we said, prophecy not only critiques the world, it also calls us to hope. To live for tomorrow in the possibility and certainty of tomorrow. That, that all the visions and grandeurs of all the words and the, and the psalms that we've sang and all the, the pictures that we've painted over these few weeks are not just images to hang up in a house or put on a coffee mug or to refer back to on an occasional Sunday, but are the morrow that we wake up into each day. Prophecies call us to hope, and they also call us to action to the action which is our beginning and is our end, life with God. The end of our labors, the goal of our faith, the future that is arriving now in Christ with us. Hope and action that we have said this Advent season is always a response to God for us and God with us, to Christ's arrival. Or as Deuteronomy would say, the Lord your God turned the curse into a blessing for you. Because the Lord your God loves you. Our life is a response, a hope and an action to God who turned the curse into a blessing because the Lord our God is with us, loved us. For this is how God loved us and loved the world, that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Not only did he turn the curse into a blessing because he loved us, the way he loved us was to become one of us, to die for us, not to condemn us, but to save us, not to crush us, but to free us, but only if we would give our lives to him. For beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows him. The action that we are called to, the thing that we are called to is to be in the love as we are loved. To love, for love is from God, and whoever is born of God, whoever's beginning is God, knows God. And anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world, so that we might live through him. Not simply be saved by him, to simply be rescued from sin, but to live through him. And this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us. And sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. And this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us. And sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins.
Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. How amazing is that? That what came at Christmas isn't merely our salvation, our rescue, our removal into some sort of the world as the world as it is, into the world as it could be. But even more so, is God's inviting us into His life. God abiding in us, in us in Him. So that the love that began the world, that came on Christmas morning, is now perfected in us made whole and true and pure and good for all the world. And you and me, tomorrow, at work, in our homes, in conversations, in the living that we we do, in the receiving that we do, in all the little details of life. But as we know, loving one another is not easy. Nowhere in our scriptures is it depicted as such, Right? We know what we're called to, love one another, right? But how hard is that? As we all know, and Rory's story revealed, love can be missed and rendered mild in the routine of daily living, can it? In our homes, in our relationships, in the people closest to us, who we forget to say it, but not just say it, forget to show it. Likewise, love, while demanding, does not languish the soul. It doesn't suck it dry with anxiety and labor to try to earn it, to force it, to make it in whatever vision we desire, but rather love works for the soul's satisfaction. Not just ours, but for the soul's satisfaction of another. And love, while a wondrous energy, is inept as a sentiment, no matter how deeply felt. Don't we know that? And yet... The true joy of life is the ability to love. Because long ago, love had been born in you when you knew our Father loved you. That is the true revelation of Christ's arrival. Love alone can awaken love and perfect it. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. I wonder if for a few moments this afternoon, before we conclude our time together and enter again back into the frenzy that is the race to Christmas, if for a few moments, just like the, the, the um, Rob from our story, we take a moment of quiet just before the rise of the setting of the, the Christmas star, and we will remember when, our fathers, when we first knew our Father's love, And wonder just a little bit how his love may be perfected in us. Not who is his love being perfected in you, but how, sorry. Let me pray for us, and then I'll let us reflect for just a moment. Father, we thank you that love is not our action first but yours. It is, our love is nothing more than a response to the way that we have been loved by you. 
Not the way we felt it, but in action, how you've actually loved us. To dwell among us, to send your Son to die for us, so that we might abide in you and you in us. Father, awaken that love and the memory of that love in us in these next few moments. If we don't know that love awaken in us now, if we've forgotten that love, bring it to the forefront of our mind. And Father, just as it is in you and your Son, let not the memory, Father Lord, just terminate in our own internal joy, but may it spill out into perfection, into love made perfect in us, through us, to those around us. What a blessing and what a challenge. Because of Jesus, we pray.